This is Shifting Our Schools, episode 64, my August 2018 keynote. Listen up, educators. Are you looking to take your classroom to the next level? The technological shift in education is happening right now. If you're looking to integrate technology into your classroom, you're in the right place. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. Well, welcome back to Shifting Our Schools. Thank you for listening and thank you for continuing to spread the word about shifting our schools. Uh, It's great to see so many new listeners out there. Uh, For those of you that are new, uh, my name is Jeff Utech. Uh, I make my home here in Seattle, Washington. And what a great, uh, hopefully you're having a great start to the school year. And it's never a better time to tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast you listen to or maybe new podcast you found over the summer. And hopefully Shifting Our Schools has made that list. I cannot believe it's August 22nd already. I have no idea where August went. Uh, I was looking back at kind of why August was so fast. Um, And I went back and looked, I I did nine keynotes and 10 three-hour workshops to help school districts uh, and teachers start this new school year off. And so it has just been a whirlwind of a August for me. Actually, as I'm recording this, I only got about 45 minutes left and then I need to head up and give another three-hour workshop uh, north of Seattle here in just a little bit. But uh, it's been a great summer for me, a great August. I love being busy in August. I love helping schools and teachers get excited for the school year and hopefully uh, you'll get a part of that in today's episode here in just a second. I'll talk more about that. Uh, But some great conversations with teachers and admin uh, across uh, the United States. I was all in in America this summer or in this August, so so that was great as as well. But this will be our unofficial official last week of the one to one summer of fun series here at Shifting Our Schools. Don't worry, we're still going to focus on the one to one classroom, but we'll also have some other episodes that focus on leadership. We'll focus on the connected classroom. Uh, how do you break down the walls and get your kids to be uh, connecting with other classrooms around the world? There will still have tools and tips, and of course, conversations with teachers who are shifting their classrooms leading towards shifted schools. As we, are, uh, as we bring this one-to-one summer of fun to a close, I want to make sure you are aware of some of the other resources and opportunities that are available to you so that you can continue your learning uh, throughout this entire year. We are still bringing a podcast to you, hopefully an episode every week. We drop these Wednesday at noon, uh, so you can look forward to that. Our goal is, my goal is to continue to get one out every Wednesday, no matter how busy uh, I am. Uh, so a couple other things I want to make sure you're aware of. First of all, if you are on YouTube or you ever go watch videos on YouTube, along with our one-to-one summer of fun here podcast, we've also been dropping uh, videos over on our YouTube channel. So if you go to YouTube and you search for Eduro Learning, I will also put a link in the show notes directly to the playlist. But on the Eduro Learning channel, there's a playlist of uh, all these videos for the one-to-one teacher. And this summer, I did a whole uh, five-five-five series of videos. It was five videos with five tips or tricks in under five minutes. And if you haven't watched those, some of those are some of the things we've uh, we've gone more in depth here on the podcast, but there are other things over there that we never got to uh, this summer. So if you want to go check that out, there's, there's amazing videos over there. Kim Cofino has done some amazing coaching uh, videos. If you are a coach or a TOSA and you're looking for some strategies or ideas, there are some incredible resources over there as well. And same with Chrissy Hellyer has some great videos over there on being a connected teacher and breaking down the walls of your classroom. So YouTube, uh, 
go go ahead and type in eduro e d u r o learning two separate words eduro learning you'll find our channel uh, and all these amazing videos uh, to help you more in your classroom as well whatever your job is. Uh, I hope you were able to download a bunch of our freebies all summer long. We were giving away free PDFs every week. Uh, If you miss them, don't worry, we'll have more coming up uh, in the near future. However, you can head over to the one-to-one teacher page at Eduro Learning and download this week's free PDF. And this week's free PDF will be the last one for our one-to-one summer front one-to-one summer of fun is five reasons why micro-credentials are the future of education. And it's already been downloaded uh, quite a few times. And so it's great to see other people thinking about how are we changing our own education as teachers as well. And of course, you can get that. Uh, The easiest way to get there is if you go to sospodcast.org. That's that's the Shifting Our School site, sospodcast.org slash 121. Or if you just go to sospodcast.org and up across the menu across the top, you'll see the link to the one-to-one and that'll take you there. While you're there, you can download the free PDFs. I think there's actually two available this week. I won't tell you what the other one is, so you can go and find it out for yourself. Uh, But also, you're going to get this, hopefully, uh, what you see there as well, is this idea of the micro-credential we're doing at Edera Learning, where you have an opportunity to spend 24 weeks, that's almost an entire school year, with a coach and a mentor helping you in the one-to-one classroom. And I'm so excited that uh, Tanya LeClaire will lead our academy-level cohort. You can learn more about Tanya. She's actually works in uh, Shanghai, or sorry, yeah, I think she's in She's in China. I can't remember what city. I've got too many friends that work in China. Uh, she's, she's working in China. And uh, so you automatically have a global connection. If you take the academy level, uh, you're going to have connections to your, your kids are going to have connections to another school instantly. She is a coach at working at an international school. Fantastic. She has a video up now on the one-to-one page. So again, if you go to sospodcast.org, click on one-to-one at the top, uh, you'll see her video there introducing herself. She's been working with iPads for a long time. So if you find yourself in an iPad classroom uh, and hear her story as well, and I'm so excited uh, that she is joining us. So again, uh, our micro-credential will launch September 10th. Space is limited. So you need to make sure you sign up if this is something you want to do for yourself, for your own professional development, uh, tied to a micro-credential, all the information about the courses, what you can expect to learn. Uh, We will continue to have people from the micro-credential will be part of these podcast moving forward, having conversations about what's going on in your classroom, and just that idea of reflecting on our practice and making sure we're using technology in authentic and purposeful ways in our classroom. That's what we're all about here. So head on over sospodcast.org slash one to one one to one or up at the top at sospodcast.org again, and you will be taken to our Eduro Learning one to one micro credential. All the information you need there, including your free PDFs and hope to see you this year. We only launch it once every year. uh, So if you miss it and don't sign up in time by September 10th or spaces fill up, then we'll have to wait a whole year uh, to see if we run in this again or when we run it again next year. So that leads us to today's episode. Last week, I recorded one of my keynotes that I gave at a STEM conference here in Washington State. I've been asked throughout August if people could have my slide deck, of course, and so I will attach that to the show notes as well as it'll be in PDF form. Um, As I think there, you know, it only really makes sense to have the slides if you hear the stories 
that go with them. I use a very presentation Zen style. So a lot of them are just pictures. So if you weren't able to catch me this August at a keynote, you're in luck that you can still hear my keynote for this year and some of the messages I was giving to educators and administrators um, across our country uh, here in America. And if you did hear me and wanted the slides and recordings, well, here you go. They're here for you now. So again, you can, uh, in the show notes to this episode, uh, again, this is episode 64, so you can head over to sospodcast.org slash episode 64 and be able to download uh, that slideshow in a PDF format. But I hope you enjoy it. As always, uh, feedback is always welcome, and enjoy my August 2018 keynote. Here we go. Without further ado, I want to introduce Jeff Utech. Jeff's a former teacher, fourth grade teacher, among other things. Um, um, Jeff started as a teacher in 2005. He started his blog, The Thinking Stick, in 2007, he worked with his district to do a one-to-one implementation plan for devices going one-to-one in the school. That branched out to other schools, and now Jeff is uh, helping schools around the world with his company called Eduro Learning. He's the CEO, and we're really glad that Jeff gets to uh, affect all of us, and then we can take that into our classrooms. So, Jeff Utah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, lunchtime keynotes are my favorite because nobody can yell at me or busy eating. So uh, yes, thanks for having me here. It's always great to make it on this side of the mountains. Uh, I now make my home in Seattle, but I'm originally from Spokane. Any Spokaneites in the room or former Spokane? Okay, thank you. Uh, I graduated from WSU and Cubs in the house. Okay, good. All right, see, we got a couple. Uh, yeah, I graduated at like the perfect time to be a teacher, other than like this year, because uh, we're such a teacher shortage now. But I graduated from WSU in 1999, which for those of you that can remember back, was the first year of Owasso. So every posi- every fourth grade position in the state was open. So an elementary ed degree, job right out of right out of college, and teaching fourth grade, of course. Uh, so I taught one year in uh, Spokane while my wife finished up her school counseling degree at Eastern. Uh, and then from there, uh, we taught in Aberdeen for two years over on the coast. So uh, our two years in there, and my wife and I decided to go overseas. We spent three years in Saudi Arabia, where I rolled out my first one-to-one program. We did Palm Pilot tungsten T5s. For those of you that are really geeky, if you remember the Palm Pilot, we went one-to-one Palm Pilot. Failed miserably, uh, but it was a really kind of a, a fun thing. From there, we moved to Shanghai, China. We rolled out a one-to-one program in Shanghai, China. It's an American school there. Uh, did Mac program there, and then in 2007, moved to Bangkok, and we're about one more program there. In 2012, my wife and I moved back, we now live in Seattle, my wife is a school counselor in Seattle Public Schools, and I came back and saw where our state was, uh, and thought that maybe I could help, seeing that there were a lot of districts going one-to-one in with this integration of tech, and so that is what I have done since then. Uh, I still travel quite a bit, uh, actually, I have to drive back to Seattle, I fly to Iowa tomorrow. Uh, some rural school district there as well. So it's good, but I love being in my own state. And I think, for those of you that have been following tech in this state, I think we've, some really interesting things have happened lately. And one of the first ones, one a key point for me was last February, all 47 tech levies in our state passed. Every levy that had the word technology in it passed in this state, which to me tells us that our community is there. Right? Our parents 
are there. Our community understands where we're headed. And that, to me, is a, is a great sign for where we are in education in our own state. So what we're going to talk about today is just kind of what does that mean for us, and where do we go from here? And so I've, I've titled this The Speed of Normalcy, just how fast things are changing. And what you're looking at is actually a life, these aren't life stats, I actually took the screen recording uh, about six months ago, so those stats are even farther behind of where, you're, uh, of where we are today. But it's incredible how fast this stuff is changing. And I want you just to stop and reflect for a second how fast your life has changed because of it. I'd like you to think about how many devices do you own that you would say are yours personally, that you would say, yeah, I own that. That's mine. How many would you do? And any device that connects to the internet, so Fitbit, phone, watch, <laughs> iPad, Kindle, <laughs> ones that you were saying yours personally. Now, this one's going to be a little bit harder. How do you start it off with that number? How many devices does your family own? Or inside your house, how many devices do you have inside your house that connect to the internet? So don't forget the PlayStation and the Xbox, the seven light bulbs, the car that has GPS, the Alexa, the Google Home, all four phones. Some of you are already shaking your head like you don't even want to know what that number is because you haven't done this before. The refrigerator, the crock pot, the washing machine, the vacuum cleaner. All right, here's the only math I'm going to have you do during the keynote. What is your family ratio? Can you take all of the devices that connect to the internet in your house, divide it by the number of people that live in that house, and come up with what is your connected device ratio of people to devices in your home? Will you raise your hand if that number is three or greater? Look around. All right, keep your hand up. Four, five, six, seven. Oh, we got a crowd. Eight. Nine? Nine? Nine or ten. Nine or ten. Nine or ten. You know, I can't count. I just kind of roughly nine or ten. How many back here? How many do you have? About twelve per person. Got you? About twelve. Twelve devices per person. When did that happen? When did that happen? You know? When did, when did you buy TVs that just had Wi-Fi built in? And here's the crazy part. Statistically, right now in America, we are three devices to every person, regardless of social economic status. In fact, there's new numbers coming out that show some of our students that come from uh, poverty and low social economic situations might even be more connected than those that come from middle class and upper class families, which is kind of a doesn't seem like that's right. The data also says that by 2020, which is only two years from now, we're looking at 10 devices in every household on an average of almost four or five devices per person. That's the world you live in outside of school. And all of a sudden, you come to school, and how many devices? I love this. This is why I help school districts go one-to-one. -one. And my first thing is, like, seriously, one-to-one? -one? 
You have kids that are coming into your school that live in a four-to-one world, and you think you giving them a Chromebook is going to change everything. <laughs> are you kidding me? You're probably already in a one-to-one -one world. We just don't like it. We think this is a horrible thing, not that it's a high-definition camera, stereo microphone, the things you can do with this, right? If you think of it in an educational way and not a distraction way. You're probably close to one-to-one -one already. And a Chromebook or an iPad or whatever the rollout is, is almost getting you to two-to-one. But what does that look like? And how do we try to make our classrooms be more like what happens outside of the doors? And that means rethinking education on a large scale. Because this is normal now. Normal is to be connected. And normal isn't just being connected sometimes. You know, we try to use, we, for a long time we said you needed to be balanced. Well, balance means you would only spend 50% time, 50% of your time on the device. Anybody in here tell me you can do your job only spending 50% of time on the device? It doesn't work. We're constantly connected. Some of you, you forget your cell phone, you turn around and go back and get it. You think I have to be connected so long. Right? And it's crazy. And we're in this really weird situation. And here's the problem with this generation. The problem with this generation is they're not us. And it's not their fault. We, everyone in this room, is the last generation to remember life without the internet. They are comparing us to a generation of before and after the car, before and after the book, before and after television, before and after radio. See, we get to look back on a childhood where you went outside and played with your friends, and there were no distractions. Everyone in this room probably remembers this sound. Oh, let me hang on a second. I'd rather change my audio screen. You gotta hear this sound. You probably, I know you know this sound. Are you ready for it? Yep. Ready to go. Right there. Here we go. This sound. <laughs> I want you to just soak this in. This is 56K. I know. Just when's the last time you had to wait 45 seconds to connect to the internet? And like wait 45 seconds to connect to the internet and not be mad about it. Oh. And then your brother or sister picks up the phone and you have to do the whole thing over again. Right? I play that sound to like middle schoolers and they're just like, what is wrong with you? What is that? It's like, that's the sound of the internet. You don't even know the internet makes sound. Right? They just, it's just always out here. The internet's just out here to this generation. This is why, this is one of the reasons why I think this generation really irritates us. Is we want them to have our childhood. And it's not going to happen. Their childhood is completely different. You want to see people say, you know, them being online all the time rewiring their brains. Yes, it is. Your brain was rewired. I'm a generation Xer. Our brains were supposed to melt from watching too much television. That didn't happen. Right? This generation is watching three times more television than my generation. And my generation, we were supposed to ruin us all. Right? It does. We are constantly changing as people. And we see we see stuff like this, right? We see kids. Walking around on their phones, we're like, that is so bad. How horrible that they aren't talking to each other. The problem is, these kids used to be that kid. That's a kid 
who is talking to his grandparent halfway around the world, and we think that's awesome. How many of you in here have had your grandchildren or your children Skype or do video conference with somebody, and it didn't cost you a long distance bill? Right? That's amazing. It's so amazing to see. So when you're this age, we teach you that, you know what? Technology is amazing. It connects us. It connects people. You get this age, and we're like, it's horrible. Get off of it. You get this age, and we're like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. <laughs> it's like they can actually use it. Right? And so the thing that I can't wrap my head around, and when you're this age, it's okay to be on technology and use it to connect with people. When you're this age, it's okay to be on technology and connect with people. But when you're this age, you shouldn't do that. You should be talking face to face to each other. Yes, I want kids to talk face to face. Absolutely. But we have to understand they are talking in a different way. And you don't have to like it. You don't have to understand how Snapchat works. You do need to respect it. You need to respect they have real relationships in places that we can't see. And I'm not saying it's right, I'm saying it's what is. They are a different generation with different ways of communicating. And we have to get to a place where we can at least respect their world, even if we don't like it. The interesting thing is, is we've just created another, or we've just passed another generation. And I pause to talk about this because the millennials, raise your hand if you're a millennial. Yeah, we don't like them. See, they raise their hands, really high, we don't like them. Yeah, we love the millennials, they're great, kind of. Um, so, but we, the powers that be, have just pushed out where the end of the millennials are. So the end of the millennials are now 22 years old. They're actually in the workplace, they're in universities, and they're out. The kids in our schools are a new generation. And they are a generation that is going to be different than the millennials. In fact, if you look at the generations we have in America right now, this is what we're looking at. We still have the silent generation, those between the ages of 73 and 90, the boomers between the age of 54 and 72, the Gen Xers, 38 to 53, millennials now 22 to 37, and a new generation. And here's the reason why I want you to pause and reflect on this. This is the reason why we don't get kids today. Because as a generation, you can relate to a generation on either side of you. I'm a Gen Xer, so I get millennials, and I get boomers. I can navigate those relationships because I understand a generation on either side of me. When you skip a generation, I don't get those kids. That is too far, too far gone. And here becomes the real issue. If you're a boomer, you are now two full generations removed from the kids that you're teaching. You do not understand them. Try, stop trying to understand them. <laughs> and just come to a place that they're weird and different than you. <laughs> and you need to respect them for that. We have to get to a place where we respect them for their culture and their upbringing. And it doesn't mean it's right, it's not better or worse, it's different. And we've got to get there. Now the second reason why I bring up the generations is because as teachers, we need to understand the generations that we talk to and what tech language we talk to them with. Probably the best part of my keynote, right here. Are you ready? If you are a teacher and the parents that you are trying, the parents that you are trying to communicate to are a boomer generation parent, 
they would appreciate a phone call from the school. Their technology is the phone. They would appreciate it when they expect the school to call them. If your parent is a Gen Xer, they would appreciate an email. They are the email generation. I am an email, I'm a Gen Xer, I live in my inbox. We're the easiest generation to find because we walk around schools going, will you email that to me? Will you email that to me? Will you email that to me? We live in our inbox. Our inbox is our house, right? If your parents, elementary teachers, if your parents are millennials, text them. Do not call them. They will not pick up the phone and you're downright rude if you call a millennial without texting them first. <laughs> parents of millennials and parents of post-millennials in the room, this might, be, this might save your relationship with your children. You need to text them, may I call you. They will then give you permission to call them. That is how you respect their culture. I'm not saying it's right. I think it's really weird, but it's the way the game's played. <laughs> they don't check their email. Talk to millennials. I talk to kids all the time in schools. They never check their email. It's full of notifications from classroom or it's full of notifications from campus. Why would you ever go there? They have an email account to sign up for Snapchat. That's why they have an email account. And so because of this, we need to understand where their future is. And we crossed a very interesting point in 2016. In October of 2016, globally, not just in the U.S., but globally for the first time, we saw more data being transmitted on here than versus all other computers combined. And that's a shift. And when I'm working with schools, I'm working with school boards, I'm working with administrators, the thing that we all need to start thinking about is if you get here, you win. Because a student will forget their Chromebook and not remember to charge it. They never forget this. Admin will forget to charge their laptop. They never forget this. How do you get here? How do you make sure kids are using a calendar that syncs to their phone? Are you using an app like Remind that allows you to text message students? Because that's the language that they speak. How are you making sure that you get here with your students and with your parents? You get here with parents, you win. You want to pass a levy or bond? You get here, you win. Nobody goes to the website. Nobody goes to the levy night where they're going to learn about information. No, but you know what they will do? You stream that on Facebook, you'll have over 700 people show up and watch it live on Facebook. Nobody's going to come down to the school to learn about the bond or the levy. They'll watch it on Facebook. And the number one generation on Facebook right now? Those over 50. Number one generation on Facebook right now. Also known as voters. <laughs> so, because of this, we also have to think differently about things like YouTube, right? We think that Google is the number one search engine, and it is for those people over 35 years of age. We are a text-based culture if you're over the age of 35. We believe in text first, and video can't be that good. If you're less than 35, the number one search engine is YouTube. Which is why, if you're an elementary teacher, you probably hear kids all the time, when I grow up, I want to be a YouTuber. And why wouldn't you want to be a YouTuber? I mean, look at this. These are the top 10 grossing people on YouTube. And here's my favorite part about YouTube. I talk to parents all the time. They're like, my kid 
will just sit there and watch somebody else play games. I don't get it. They sit there and watch them play games. And I was like, I know. It's like no other generation sat around watching Wheel of Fortune or Jeopardy. Price is right. Price is right. Name your game. I know kids today sit around watching other people play. I don't know what we're going to do with them. <laughs> the game's changed. The idea hasn't. We've always liked watching other people play games. Other people try to level up. Other people try to win money. Right? Their games are just different. They're just on a screen this size, not 72 inches in the earlier one. Right? We have to think differently. And here's the best part about YouTube. YouTube, anybody can make it. Anybody can make a YouTube video. And you can actually make a living off of YouTube videos. YouTube tells us that once you connect your bank account to your, to your channel, you, make, you can make upwards of $100 per thousand views. Now, this is why I believe a graduation requirement as a senior should be able to make a great three to five minute video on how to make something. I don't care what you decide to be in life, that is a revenue stream for everyone in this room and everyone in your students. Because here's what you need to know. If you're a plumber, you better know how to make a video. If you're a car mechanic, you better know how to make a video. If you're an electrician, you better know how to make a video. Turn and talk to the person next to you. What have you learned by watching a YouTube video? Quickly, what have you learned? <laughs> trying to teach a live-in-the-moment generation. We all grew up in a process and procedure world. We love our processes and procedures. I know this because so I work with teachers, and they're like, just give me the PDF, Jeff. Show me where to click. Give me the process and the procedure to follow, and I'll be just fine, which is fine for us. That's how we grew up. That's how we were educated. This generation is growing up in a chaos and discovery world. Chaos and discovery first, process and procedure second. You want to engage this generation? How do you create a chaotic learning environment first, wait for them to get stuck, and then you go, you know what, there's a process you could follow for that. <laughs> Let me help you. There's a procedure for figuring that out. You want to know it? But if we try to process and procedure them first, they're not going to pay attention because they're a chaos and discovery generation. Chaos and discovery first, process and procedure second. Okay. Best thing I can 
kind of think about when you're creating lessons for this generation. And teach them how to make a YouTube video. First graders can learn to make YouTube videos. Third graders, YouTube videos. I was doing some electrical work on my house just to drive home the point. And I had to go to the store after watching, I don't know, 80 YouTube videos, and I had to get a breaker. I had it narrowed down, I had to replace the breaker. So I watched all these videos so I wouldn't electrocute myself. I walked into the store, electrical store, this is downtown Seattle, and I asked the guy, this is what I need. He's like, all right. He walks me over, and as we walk over to get the breaker, in the back office, I see a green screen with a, with a, a camera in front of it. And so I got the breaker, and as I'm checking out, I asked him, I said, what are you doing back there? And he's like, oh. He's like, that's where we make the videos. And I was like, what kind of videos? He's like, man, he's like, it's perfect. People come in like you, and they have a problem. We're like, yes, we'll help you with your problem. And we know that you've only come here because you can't find that answer online, which means nobody's made that video yet. <laughs> so we help you in the front of the store. You leave. We run to the back, sit down, hide. Do you need to know how to change a breaker in a box that was made in 1926? Like, just goes through the thing and makes the video. Here's the catch. Store owner tells me, I make as much back there as I do out here. That's running an electrical shop in 2018, people. Right? What? Every kid needs to know how to make a YouTube video. You teach somebody to fold a fitted sheet. You teach somebody to tie a tie. You teach somebody to play the ukulele. I don't care. Right? Teach them. So here's my challenge to you. The next time you're on a YouTube video, because you're probably going to go to long before today's over, figure out how much that video has earned. That one video has earned that person. And all of a sudden, you're a plumber, and you have all these videos. That's a pretty good revenue stream for you. Plus, you're also now getting your face out there and doing business as well. The other thing we have to understand is productivity in our, in our country is an all-time high, and we're leveling off on the workforce. And it's not that there aren't jobs. It's that the jobs have completely changed. Right? Yes, the jobs might have gone to China, but they're not coming back. They're laying people off in China now as well. So we need to think about how jobs have changed. So here's one of my favorite. We no longer need cowboys because down in Texas, they have the robot that will go out and round up the cattle. And the robot is better than a cowboy because it can identify each cow by its spots individually. It doesn't need to stop at night for a campfire. It doesn't even carry its guitar around and know where the watering hole is. It's solar powered, so you'd be out in Texas all day, and the farmer, the rancher, can actually just look on their phone and see their cows. What? <laughs> That's what it means to be a rancher in Texas. Here's a guy driving a tractor, except you'll notice there's nobody in the tractor. This is actually Nebraska, where this farmer is driving two tractors. If I let the video play, he drives this one, and then he takes his cell phone, and he's like, oh, I'm driving that one over there as well. Now, it is now in our state senate to allow tractors to be self-driving in the state. They're not quite there yet. Most, most farmers that I talk to in our state already have GPS installed, but you still have to sit in the cab. My brother farms in the Spokane Valley, and I was like, that's pretty cool. He said, yeah, the problem is you need to set an alarm on your cell phone to wake you up at the other end of the field. <laughs> Otherwise, the tractor just keeps going. Right? <laughs> so he uses his cell phone as an alarm clock. He's like, I know it's 45 minutes to the other end, set the alarm clock, fall asleep. I'm like, gee, that sounds like a rough life being a farmer again. Right? <laughs> right, well, how about this one? This one's out of the Tri-Cities. This is called a robot. And this goes down rows of corn. And this is scientists working with some uh, technology experts down out of the Tri-Cities. And the robot, they come, you can get these in packs of six or eight. And the robots will go down the row of corn. The front end of the robot is taking a soil sample. And by the time the back end of the robot gets right next to that uh, 
stock of corn drops the perfect amount of fertilizer. What? Are you kidding me? And then you can put six or eight of these in the field and just go back and forth, back and forth. Your job, fill it up with gas and fertilizer. That's your job. Right? That's your job. How crazy is that? Or how about pilotless planes? Every time I talk about planes flying themselves, everybody's like, oh no. <laughs> Two questions for you. When's the last time you actually saw the pilot of your plane? And number two, what if I told you that almost 90% of all tra air traffic accidents are caused by human error? Okay. Who are you going to trust? Or how about this one? We know self-driving cars are coming, and it's not the car I'm so worried about. It's the semi-truck. And I don't know about you, but every semi-truck that I pass now has we're hiring drivers. And the actual National Union for Truck Drivers says we're right now, right now today, about 250,000 drivers short. So we have this really interesting problem. Nobody wants to drive long-haul trucking anymore, and we can't get enough people to drive trucks. And the people that are driving trucks, we don't have enough of them. So now, what are you going to do? This is where technology steps in and says, we've got a solution. What if just trucks drove themselves? There are 3 million people in this country that make their living off of driving truck. What happens when those 3 million jobs go away? And their jobs will be secure because we have to fill this 250,000 plus that will be self-driving first. But it won't be long before they do it. We're already seeing it in Australia. They now have these working in Australia because Australia is flat and long and you can drive seven hours from one end of Australia to the other with nobody in it. I have a friend who works in a mine. They just laid off 1,500 people in a mine because the trucks drive themselves down into the mine, fill up, drive themselves back out. 1,500 people just lost their job. Because that's what tech can do. And so, I mean, we have things like this. This is one of my favorite. You know, you talk about STEM. Have you ever been following SpaceX and this ability to, like, shoot rockets and then land them? Are you kidding me? How awesome is that? And here's something that really, really saddens me as I think back on my own education. I remember, clear as a bell, stopping the curriculum, wheeling in the television to watch the space shuttle take off. We stopped in awe of moments where, as a human race, we were doing incredible things. I can't find a teacher today to stop and pause in awe over the amazing things we're doing. Whether that's watching the rover drive around on Mars, whether that's watching the next liftoff and landing of rockets, where do we just pause to have students appreciate the science and technology, engineering and math that's just around us all the time, that we're doing all the time? But we gotta fit in our 45 minutes of reading, Jeff, and we've got 90 minutes of math, Jeff, and I know, I know, I know. But are we missing something trying to keep those times together? We'll see more technological uh, scientific advances in this century than we have in the last 500 years combined. And that leads to us thinking differently. Georgetown University came out with this right after the last recession. It was called recovery. It's all this research that Georgetown University did. Two big things came out of it. Number one, by 2020, 65% of all jobs in America will need some kind of post-secondary degree. For the first time ever in America, we passed the 50% mark in 2017. Already across our country, the jobs are there. They're just not the same jobs. And this isn't a four-year degree. It's a technical degree. I was just keynoting with the Washington State Community and Technical Colleges. 
How are they ramping up for this? We still need welders. We still need plumbers. We still need people to do those jobs. But the job of coming out of high school and getting a job with just a high school diploma isn't going to be there anymore. It's not going to be there anymore. We're going to be about 5 million jobs short if we continue down the same path that we're on right now. And so what does this mean for us? It means we need to think of education differently. We've got a different generation with a different future in front of them. And we need to do away with some old mindsets. And this is my first old mindset. And I know you've stopped eating, so you're going to yell at me here, but that's okay. <laughs> the first one is, is we need to stop thinking of ourselves as facilitators. right? This idea of I'm a coach or I'm a facilitator, I'm a guide on the side. They're great. Don't get me wrong. I love Pete Carroll. He's a great facilitator. He's a great coach. But like every other coach and facilitator, he calls the plays and then goes into position. And you just kind of hope whatever play he called worked. That's what a coach does. That's what a facilitator does. They go to the book and they say, okay, today is uh, unit three, chapter two, lesson six. That's what a facilitator does. What we need with this generation is we need teachers who are willing to be creators of learning experiences. We need Russell Wilsons in our classroom. Because Russell gets the play call from the coach, a.k.a. our standards and benchmarks. And then he steps up to the line, and he looks out over the line and says, uh-oh, that one didn't have breakfast. That one spent the weekend with Dad, and we know how that is. That one looks like they're going to fall asleep any second because they were up all night helping little brother and sister. And you might have to change the play. Right? You might have to change the play. And even after he changed the play and he hikes the ball because we have no offensive line, he still runs around <laughs> trying to make it work. Right? He is in it with them. He is in it with his teammates, trying to adjust on the fly all the time. Does every play work? No. Does it always work that he scrambles? No. But it does a lot of the time because he's in it. Right? He's in it with them. How do we get in it with our kids? How do we start thinking about these things that we used to call 21st century skills, which that name should go away because it is 2018. Just let that sink in for a second. We're still calling it 21st century skills. But these are things we want every kid to have and always have. Wanted every kid to have these skills. The difference is, is the way we look at these skills. So if we look at the first one, collaboration. How do I create experiences that allow collaboration across time and space? We've always wanted kids to collaborate. And yes, I want kids to collaborate in your classroom. Your classroom needs to be very collaborative. But every once in a while, do your students have an opportunity to collaborate with somebody they've never met? Maybe it's even somebody they have met in the other fourth grade or 11th grade class. And they have to build a presentation together. Or it's somebody at another elementary school inside your own district. You don't have to go global. You can do this right inside your own district. Every once in a while, I want kids to be able to collaborate with somebody across time and space because that is how work gets done in the real world. My company, I'm the only one in America. We're all, all Americans, only one here. One chooses to live in Thailand, one chooses to live in New Zealand, one chooses to live in Warsaw, one chooses to live in Beijing, because you can work from anywhere. And actually, it's quite nice because we work 24-7. We're a 24-7 company. Somebody's going to bed, somebody's waking up. Incredible. That's the way the world works. When we talk of communication, how do I create opportunities that allow students to communicate the way the world communicates? Quick question to you. How many letters have you written today versus emails? <laughs> Second question. Have you taught your kids how to write a good email to a variety of audiences? 
because that's the way the world communicates. They don't communicate through letters, we communicate through emails. What does that look like for your kids? And here's a shocker, I know this is gonna come as a shock. Every author has an email account. Every book that every kid ends up reading, why don't they just email the author their thoughts? Do you know how many authors actually email kids back? Quite a few. And you can practice writing an email to a variety of audiences. Very easy. Critical thinking. When do I create opportunities that allow students to be problem finders, not just problem solvers? We're very good at setting up situations for kids to solve. What we need to get better at is creating opportunities for them to find the problem. Quick idea, you come into math class one day, I've got a problem on the board, it's already solved, except there's a mistake in the middle of it somewhere. Get in groups of three, figure out where the problem is, and then try to fix it. If I just give you a problem to solve, the problem's already been laid out in front of you. You've got to find it first, and then try to figure out how to solve it. And the last one, creating. When do I allow students to create content to share with the world? Not every day, not all the time, but we have to get past this notion of keeping kids private and helping kids become public. This generation has given up on privacy, and it's sad, but it's their truth. They, are, they have been tracked since they were, before they were born. Right? The average five-year-old has something like 3,000 photos of them on Facebook, and they're five, and they didn't put them there. This generation has been tracked, they've given up on privacy, they know what it means to be public, that's number one. How do we help them to do that the right way? Number two, your number one resume right now in this country is a website called LinkedIn. 94% of all hires last year in this country alone had some kind of LinkedIn connection. If your seniors are not graduating with a LinkedIn profile, you're doing them a disservice. Your second resume, Google search. If your kids can't be found in a Google search engine, that's not a good thing. They can't be found by companies. Third, social media. 87% of universities do a social media check on incoming freshmen. And if they don't find something, that's just as bad as what they might find. And your last resume, the paper resume. Let me help you with that when you go file new from template. Choose the one that looks pretty and fill in the blanks. That's the easiest of the four, right? Easiest of the four. We gotta help them create stuff to share with the world to build that positive footprint. What does this mean for STEM? Well, one of the things I don't like about the idea of STEM, I love the idea, okay, I didn't say that right. I like the idea of STEM, but we still think of STEM as science, technology, engineering, and math, as if they're these separate subjects. When we're talking about STEM, we're talking about how do I create learning opportunities that allow students to wonder like scientists. I want kids to wonder. We don't wonder anymore, because as soon as somebody says, I wonder about, somebody pulls out a phone and looks it up. <laughs> how do we help kids wonder like scientists? How do I create learning opportunities that allow students to be precise like coders? Did you know coding is one of the last skills that you have to really be precise at doing? It used to be spelling, but now we all kind of, yeah, we get close enough, there's a red underlined word, and you kind of figure it out from there. <laughs> so something else has to take that place, and it's been coding. Because if you forget to close the code, it doesn't work. How do we get kids to be precise like coders? How do we set up learning experiences that allow students to ask questions, allow students to question problems like engineers? What's the problem here? How am I going to find the problem? What's the strategy? Am I going to use a design cycle? Am I going to use you know, a problem cycle or a project cycle? What does that look like? 
And lastly, how do I create learning opportunities that allow students to use data like a mathematician? I am getting more and more, when I talk to small business owners and CEOs in our state, more and more, the single one most important skill that they keep coming back to me and they're like, Jeff, we need people that know how to use a spreadsheet. Why do kids and like kids, college graduated students who have math degrees don't know how to use a simple algebraic expression in an Excel sheet? That's what I need. Why are we not teaching? I, starting in second grade, kids can set up a little Excel spreadsheet that tracks their reading. Pretty easy to do, graphs it. I have one CEO that says, I will pay somebody $100,000 a year to come and show my company where we need to go next. He's like, we have the data, massive set of data in an Excel sheet. So I've got nobody that can make sense of the data. I was like, $100,000, I'll do it. I'll do it. I've got some YouTube videos I'll watch, I can figure that out right now. <laughs> so as I wrap up, here's what I want us to be thinking about for the next, the rest of this institute, right? STEM, it's not about the subject, it's about the mindset. What's the mindset? How are we going to have kids think like mathematicians? Think like scientists. That's what STEM's about. It's not the actual subject. You can do this in any subject. It's about the thought process that go into those jobs. So I leave you with this. The new normal is being connected, and the new normal is being a creator. Thank you, and have a great rest of your time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit sospodcast.org, facebook.com slash Jeff Udick, and on Twitter at judick. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on Shifting Our Schools.